The dog is chewing oh, his diaper. He's trying to lick because it's like a party trick. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for his final trick, first and final trick, Brady Thank the you. sheepdog. Although he's not a sheepdog, what is he? He's a Bernadoodle. Bernadoodle sounds. What is that? He's a. <laughs> he's I was gonna make a joke about he's gonna burn a doodle. He's a standard poodle and a Bernese Mountain Dog. Got it. He's pretty cute. He's so cute. But he, and he's black and white, kind of like a sheepdog, I guess. And the top of his head is like um, Big Bird. Like, is that, is that what you yeah, said he's, the other night? Yeah, he's got those frilly little <laughs> hairs that are kind of like Big Bird's feathers. Yeah, they like bounce around when he moves. He's pretty cute. He was trying to learn how to lay down on command earlier today. He, and he kind of made progress, I guess. Yeah, he did a little bit. He s- learned how to sit in five minutes flat. He will not lay down. Yeah, how long ago did he learn to sit? When the like week I got him. Yeah, as like a nine month old. We've been working on nine week old. Yeah, not, like twelve week old. Yeah. Oh, okay. We've been working on lay down since that time. <laughs> and he still has room. He does not love it. Yeah. Well. Which is ironic because he loves to lay around. Just not on command. Just not on command. It's like, now that you're up, I need you to lay down. Yeah. He's like, I do this all day. (laughs) Please, anything but this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here we are again. Hello, Emily. Hi, Daniel. We watched a movie. We did. I really Uh, liked it. Yes. We we watched a movie with Shalene, my lovely wife. Um, In a twist, Daniel had seen it and I had not. Crazy. <laughs> this is going to be one of the few times that I am the one who has more cultural experience. I don't even know how to say yeah, cultural yeah, experience. Yeah, go for it. Usually Emily's like, you haven't seen what? And I'm True. like, sorry, me again, story of my life. This is a big one. This is like embarrassing for me a little bit. I guess. I mean, but we're relatively young, so yeah. I guess we're now just getting around to like filling in the gaps of our cultural knowledge. Yeah. Especially when it's like not it's not like a kids movie we missed oh no for sure you know it does feel like something i would have seen as a kid um just knowing your family movie culture my grandpa would have like put it on and been like here send here and watch this (laughs) (laughs) yeah what is this movie we're speaking of shawshank redemption yes and the reason we even considered watching or we wanted to watch this is we were looking at the IMDb top 250 movies. Yeah. According to the IMDb users. And this one ranked number one. Uh, I don't remember the exact ranking. It was like 9.7 out of 10. So pretty good. It was, it lived up to the hype. It was pretty good. Yeah. And so I haven't seen it since I was, I was probably like 14 or 13. So still too young to really appreciate the bigger picture of like, what is the meaning of this story and what is its cultural um, context and like all of the meaning is just like, oh, it's a prison movie. Crazy. Yeah, it was. um, I, I loved it. I was very surprised, like in doing research on it afterwards, that it's based on a Stephen King novel. Yeah. Did not see that. Yeah, coming. Stephen King novella specifically. Yeah, called, it's only it's like um, ninety six pages is the the written version. Oh, yeah, okay. so it's real short. It's called yeah. Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, so, and given that it's so short, I mean, maybe I'll want to read it and compare it to the movie. I would love to read it and compare it to the movie. Yeah, do we you, should order it. Do you remember when it was written? No, because the I movie came out in like ninety four ish. 
something okay. like that. Um, and then obviously the book or the novella would have had to been written before it. Um, but yeah. 1982. 82. Okay. So prior to then. From his collection, Different Seasons, subtitled Hope Springs Eternal. Interesting. Yeah. And I was, I think this was just Wikipedia. So, I mean, is it reliable? Probably. I mean, people don't lie on the inter- internet. No. But, uh. Apparently, the the guy, I think it was the guy who directed it, Darabont, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. I would say so. Wanted to make a movie and was getting the rights to it and was like, this is obviously like feature film material. And then Stephen King was like, I don't see it. <laughs> like, and so there was like discrepancy on like, you really want to make a movie out of this? Like, I don't, I He's don't like, see. He's like, have you read anything else I've written? Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> it was... Nice. I don't know if it's immediately my top movie of all time, but it's definitely yeah. going straight onto my like top 10 list. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It was amazing. Yep. So it. I guess before we unpack it, maybe we should do a little spoiler sesh and just okay. go through what the movie is and what it's about. And mm-hmm. I guess if you're listening to this and you um, haven't seen it, <laughs> go watch it real quick go and then away. come back. <laughs> or if you don't care, which I don't know why you wouldn't because it's IMDb's top movie of all time. Uh, you can just listen and we'll tell you what happens and then we'll unpack it. Let's, let's unpack. I'm here for that. All right. Let's do it. Love it. So. We open. We open. <laughs> We're not going to like give you a play by play. But basically this guy is accused of murdering his wife and her lover, so to speak. Yep. The guy she was having Definitely an affair to speak. with. Yep. Um, which, I mean, I say that, but like. I would like to think that he's her lover, you know, because they're married. Anyway, side note. Anyway. Doesn't sound like it. He is accused of murdering them, um, and the movie kind of opens, and, like, you see the main character, Andy Dufresne, in his car. He's got a gun. He's drinking. He's obviously not in his right mind. He's right outside the high house where his wife and the, the guy motel, are in yeah. there. Yeah, uh, making love and stuff like that. Yeah, it does open on a slightly... Um Risque. Uh, risque scene in case you're thinking about watching it. It's not exceedingly graphic, um, but yes, it no, is. No, it it's is not a kid movie, though. Don't watch it with no, kids it de- around. It deserves its R rating for sure. It Oh, is it R rated? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Definitely warranted. Yes. Anyway, he gets accused of murdering them, but we don't know whether he actually did it. He pleads not guilty in the opening court case. Yes, yeah. But then the flashback to him being in their front lawn in the dark. Rondo looks like he like it. he like walks off the camera and it's like, did he go into the house to kill them or did he walk away like he said cool in off. his trial yeah. to cool off? And so it's like, oh, I don't know. And then he says he drove home and threw his gun in the river, right? Which is very convenient because now the the murder weapon is in a river if mm-hmm. that is the murder weapon, right? And he can't bring it in to prove that it's not, right? Because this was set in what the he 40s? he entered yeah he entered prison in forty seven is what I remember okay, yeah. from um, Morgan Freeman is the other character Red who narrates and so I think he oh. said that he um, which I went mean, in at forty seven yeah that already elevates the movie to another yeah. level when you got Morgan Freeman narrating most well, you of Morgan it. Freeman existing never mind narrating it was so good yes and it's um. <laughs> Pause. Pause That's for it. a moment. Where are you right going? <laughs> Sorry, I started looking in that coat and realized it's a mother's coat. Okay, Jared left his bag at my house. Oh, whoops. 
Jeez, Jared. <laughs> That's not the Floyd brother we usually blame for things. In the Pingle house, we say, ow, and anytime anything happens. Guilty or innocent. Does he live 2,000 miles away? Sure does. <laughs> Do we care? He still does it all. Not when it comes to that. He's that kind of guy. <laughs> Gosh. But the movie is actually, it's, a, it's narrated almost as a memoir. Yeah. I That Morgan oh. Freeman's character is remembering his time in prison with Andy Dufresne. So even though yeah. Andy Dufresne is the main character, yeah. it's narrated from and the Red's way, perspective. Red being Morgan Freeman. Red being Morgan Freeman. And the way that you he narrates it, you catch up to him by the end. Yes. Like he's at a point and he's remembering and you catch up to it and then go on with him. Yes. Which is, oh my gosh. So we're watching so the story unfold presently because we are watching the film. Yeah. But it's narrated in past tense. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he was from the same view as the audience where he did not have inside knowledge of like if Andy Dufresne did kill them. And so right. he has the same like doubts and like, I don't know, as us. Right. And great. one of the ongoing jokes in this prison, which um, is in Maine. And I mean, there's you could easily say there's hundreds of people in there. The joke well, going least. around is like, we're all innocent, obviously, yeah. you know, chuckle, chuckle. <laughs> Everyone you know. in Shawshank is innocent, except for when he asks Red, Morgan Freeman, if he's innocent, he says, I'm the only person in Shawshank right. that's not innocent. And this is like an hour into the film yeah. when Red finally opens up and is like, no, I actually did like murder and I'm in here for a good reason. But leading up through the story, we don't know really if Andy Dufresne is innocent or guilty. But I will say like oh, Tim Robbins, first of all, Blew this part out of the water. He, he did. Acted his little darn heart out. <laughs> it was so good. And you, I believed him. There was no nothing in my mind that was like, I don't know, I think he killed his wife and the, the dude. No, I was like, I, er, he was so earnest. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, you are innocent, dude. Mm -hmm. I'll go to the map. On this one. Yeah. And obviously when the judge whacks the gavel and is like two back-to-back -back life sentences for each person, like the face of like shock and despair is like very convincing. The acting that that man did without words, like, And it's so wow. subtle because his character is extremely introverted. So introverted. Doesn't talk. It's so hard to play that. Keeps to himself. Yeah. But is... Extremely convincing all the same or He's, nonetheless. And so sincere and endearing. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone right. loved him. Yeah. Except yeah. his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but anyway, so he goes to prison and, oh gosh, this is like a two and a half hour movie. I don't know how we're going to make the short version of that. I mean, like we skip things that don't add to the plot story. It's a rough first night in prison, okay? Another first prisoner gets beat to death. Yes. For crying. Because we find very quickly that the prison warden <sighs> and his right-hand man, captain of the guard, Correct. Officer Hartley... Super corrupt. Super bad guys. Real bad. Um, yeah, so they obviously don't have the prisoner's best interest in mind no. whatsoever. They, and they, yeah, they beat people. They beat this guy with a nightstick and then they leave him in the infirmary alone all night for the doctor to take care of him when he gets in in the morning, at which point he is already dead. Right. And so 
no care for the prisoners whatsoever. And they beat the guy just because he was whining and crying and they were just going to prove a point. Yeah, like, like all the other prisoners, basically, when, when there's a new crowd of prisoners that come in, the existing prisoners put bets on who's going to cry first. Right. And then they terrorize them all night. So this guy lost it. And he was like screaming, I'm not supposed to be here. I want my mom. All these yeah, things. And the warden's right-hand guy was like, bro put a lid on it and he did not yeah and so then he got beaded to death so that was a rough that, that set the tone for the movie i was like it oh. did <laughs> you're going into this prison and everyone is yelling fresh fish fresh and like fish. everyone is just out to get you um and then very quickly we find out that like oh there are men in here who are interested in like raping the new oh, inmates really as rough. well and so that like really a very dark uh bleak yeah. Grim well, situation that Andy Dufresne finds himself in. Yeah, and I would say uh, too that against, you know, his own doing, so to speak, you know, because he's allegedly innocent. Most movies that broach the topic of um homosexual rape in prison approach yeah. it comedically. Hmm. And you because just how else do you approach have, it? Yeah, you I just mean, kind of have such that, a dark like, topic. Yeah. So to see it approached like no, no, no this is going to happen to him over and over and over and it is brutal and he can't do anything about it. Right. And it's not funny. And mind you, they never explicitly show any of these occurrences on screen. No, they lead up to it. But they lead right up to it and then they move on and then again the narrator tells us what's happening. Why are we comedically putting this in movies? It's not something to make fun of. I'm not sure what movies you're referring to but I'll take your word on it. I just feel like there's always that kind of like reference of like don't drop the soap kind of thing like you know for prison and it's like that is not funny. Yeah, It's not funny. Just because it's men that is it was really hard to watch that. I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah and so the the opening 30 minutes or so, it's like we realize, like, wow, Andy Dufresne is accused of murder, double murder, and he's allegedly innocent, and now his life is potentially ruined, and now he's in this place where everyone is mm-hmm. out to get him. He has no friends. Mm-hmm. It's corrupt, so he has no hope yeah. for even, hu- like, his human rights being acknowledged no. by the people it's who run like the prison. It's not like he can go tattle and expect anything to be taken care of. Exactly. No and way. so. Also, in that first 30 minutes, Red, you learn, is the, the guy that can get things. Sure. He's so like he, a scrounger. He can get things from outside. He has contacts. So cigarettes, you know, books that you want, yeah, small trinkets. A poster of a girl or something. Posters of girls. Yeah. Yep. So he's That's like the, the guy. guy. And so he slowly becomes friends with Andy. Yeah, because Andy asks him for the very first time they like really interact. Right. Andy asks him, Oh, I should say when they are all placing bets on who will cry first, red bets that Andy will cry first and Andy does not. So the idea is that Andy looks like a total pushover. Yeah. He looks like a banker, which he was, who should not be in prison, which he is saying he should not. Um, he asks him for a gemstone hammer. A rock hammer. A rock hammer. A rock hammer. But he's a like... A little tiny one. A little tiny hammer. And he's like, yeah, it's a, a hobby. I want, I want to like chisel rocks and make like little sculptures. And Red's like, okay, whatever. Okay, weirdo. Yeah. He's like, you're not going to escape with that. And he's like, no. It's it would take 600 hammer. years to dig through with that. And he's like, yeah, I know. It's just... It's just for a hobby. Yeah. And he's like, also, like, you get caught with that. There's no way they let you keep it. Because some contraband, like, if they found cigarettes or posters, they were just like, what is? Yeah. But. But a hammer is different. But it's a tiny hammer. So we don't appreciate the significance of this until much later in the film. 
forgot about it, honestly. But so much happened. Yeah, we just watched this yesterday. But he does get him the hammer. Gets does get him, him the hammer. Yeah, whatever he and needs. And so Andy is just surviving in this prison um, where everything is just kind of hopeless and you just have your routine. And that He's getting raped one. almost every day. As far as we know. That's what the, they said. The narrator said it's his routine. So, like, this yeah. is just a regular thing. It goes on for, I forget how many weeks they said it went on or months mm-hmm. or something. And then there was an opportunity for the, the inmates to go volunteer to work um, outside of the prison, tarring a roof. You put your name into volunteer, and then they draw from those names. because so they only needed, like, 12 guys or something. So, he does get drawn. Red gets drawn. Everyone Red wants gets drawn because Red bribes the guards with cigarettes because um, he's the guy that can get stuff. Exactly. So he bribes the guards with cigarettes and their whole little crew goes to work on this job. Corrupt secondhand dude is there complaining yeah, about Officer how he, he inherited money from his brother who passed away and he's just complaining because he's like I'm going to get taxes taken out. Not if I buy a car. I'm going to get taxes taken out of the car. And then I got to maintain the car. on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is where Dufresne starts to make moves to try to build a trust with the people that run the prison. Yeah. Namely, Officer Hartley. Hartley. Um, and so over a dicey conversation where Hartley almost kills him, eventually convinces him to be like, hey, I'm a banker. I know about money. If you give it to your wife. As a gift. Then they can't tax it and you can still keep it. And da, 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 stuff like that. So through this scene, Dufresne not only garners trust with... The oh, no. um, Bradley, Brady. Is his, Bradley. Bradley. Sorry, Brady. <laughs> Brady is playing. With if his we toy. need to take it away, I don't know if the mic's picking it up or not. I, I would assume it is. I'm sorry, my love, but I'm, oh no, he thinks I'm playing tug of war. He's like, and he this is my win. squeaky toy. I'm sorry, babe. Give mom. Give me the. Give, there you go. Good. Let the toy go. Let the toy go. I'm a monster. Anyway, so yeah, he convinces him Hartley is going to kill him. And then he like hears him out and he's like, what'll it cost me to have you do it? And he's like, three beers a piece for all my friends here. Right. So he gets the trust of Hartley and all of the The crew, the crew, the inmates that are all sitting there. And so he starts to work his way through this bleak situation of like, okay, well, he's still in prison and it's terrible, but like He's starting to gain trust. So maybe things are looking up for him. Yeah. So um, he does. He helps that guy. He has no taxes taken out of his money. Um, the outside work stops. He goes back. He gets raped and beat up real bad in the infirmary for like two nights or something. Mm-hmm. So Hartley and his guys get the ringleader. They call them the sisters, the guys that rape people. Right. And gets the ringleader of the sisters and beats the living lights out of them (laughs) with their nightstick. Which is terrible, but then we as viewers don't feel terrible because this is the man who terrorizes. No, I didn't feel bad at all. Yeah. They said, they say something to the effect of like, that was the last night Andy Dufresne was raped and it was also the last night that what's his face the bad guy ever walked and like he spent the rest of his days drinking his meals out of straw (laughs) yeah it was pretty bad um yeah so Dufresne is kind of making a name for himself and making his way through this um dark situation yeah you just see like there's some kind of improvement yeah yeah and so I don't know exactly I'm trying to think exactly what happens from there we then get to kind of move off from Dufresne and learn about just life of other inmates 
Yeah, other well, he starts to there. make really make friends and connect with yes. people. Yes, and so then we meet another inmate, Brooksy, who works the library, and he's a little old man, he's a sweet old I, man. I think he's my favorite character. He's such a likable character him. because he keeps a pet bird. He has a little baby bird that he saved. And so he... I don't even like birds. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> cute. He's obviously a very caring person to, like, catch this little chick yeah. and keep it in his coat pocket mm. and feed it worms and occasionally. He's so gentle and quiet. Yeah, so this old man is just, just so sweet. and I'm he just cry. He just loves working in the library. And this is kind of a subplot, but it, it plays into the larger message of the movie. Um, yeah, the larger message of the movie was really, like, prisons in America are corrupt like this. They can be. This is what people have to go through when they're but incarcerated. But the, the deeper message beyond that is that no matter where you find yourself, there is hope. Yeah. And this is something that Dufresne addresses specifically at, at some point. But before we get to that larger message of hope, we see what Brooksy. happens when you are hopeless. So Brooks And this is yeah. how Brooks plays into the movie. He's, um, I mean, pretty old. He, he's getting yeah, close he to Yeah, he looks like he's sentence. 80 in the movie. His parole gets approved, which that's another thing is that like they, they all go up for parole and they all get rejected all the time. Like at right. the beginning, one of the guys says, I'm up for rejection next week. Yeah, it's just a joke to them. <laughs> yeah, they're, so Red they're keeps not getting, getting out of the prison. Yeah, Red keeps getting rejected. You see it several times in the movie. But Brooks, his parole does get approved because he's old enough and yes. he, um, I mean, loses it. He, he's like, I can't, I can't survive. Right, he he did not want to leave the prison and yeah. almost committed another crime in prison. Yeah, almost killed one of his friends because he was like, I've been in here over 50 years. I'm institutionalized. Yeah. I cannot survive out there. I yeah. don't... Yeah, I have no one to help me. My I've... bird is gone. Right. My library's gone. Yeah. Oh, I was heartbroken. I could not. Oh, my gosh. And so kind of as a side subplot in the movie, we then watch... Brooks, they get they get him into navigate a, his way in outside of prison life, and at this point it's the fifties now, yeah. and he's walking around. He's like, oh my gosh, there's cars everywhere. Which you, you can imagine, if he yeah. went into prison fifty years ago, this would have been like the eight, 1890s. Yeah, like there's hardly any cars anywhere. They got him into a halfway house and got him a job bagging groceries. Mm -hmm. So they did try to set him up, but like you can't. <laughs> You can't. Um, right. Well, and even yeah. bagging right, he's got arthritis really bad. And so. Oh, yeah. He's, he's so sad. His hands He can hurt. barely work. And the he, manager did not like him. Manager didn't care for him. Um, he's and got now no he's one. narrating this part. Yes. Brooks is narrating it. Yes. And we realize that these are letters back to the prison. And he's telling the prisoners about his new life outside of prison. And he says he just thinks of ways to break his parole so that he could go back. He's like, I could get a gun and I could rob the quick mart. Yeah. I could shoot the manager while I'm at it. Right. And so what, what we as the viewing audience are realizing is how the, the decades of being in prison and of being without hope really breaks them on the inside. And they become, quote unquote, institutionalized or institutionalized to a point where it's like, letting them go, so to speak, is not actually freeing. It's almost like he's in prison, being out of prison, and he feels more free and natural inside of prison, mm -hmm. which is such a tragedy. It it was, I mean, I, I don't say this, it was heartbreaking. Because? Truly. So he ends up going back to his room in his halfway house, and he carves into the wall 
Brooks was here mm-hmm. and he uh, he hangs himself. Yeah. And I I couldn't I physically covered my eyes. I could not watch it. It and I was pretty not okay. <laughs> it's extremely sad because we yeah. have an emotional connection to this character and obviously we want the best for him and it's just so sad that he was so broken by his prison life that freedom from prison is not freedom and it the the irony is that being outside of prison is what killed him yeah and it, it, i mean he had no he felt he had no worth right and oh yeah i mean i it it has actually bothered me all night last night and all day today. Yeah. It really bothered me. Yeah, because it, it just seems so unjust. Like, what's the point of a prison that is supposed to help people or mm-hmm. you rehabilitate. Know, rehabilitate? And we find that that process is what killed him. It was horrible. Um, yeah. And so, I really, this whole I this was so messed up. I wasn't ready for the movie to move on. Yeah, the movie just kind of moves on, and we're like, "Whoa, we're still I was processing just what just happened." Here yeah. Crying. yeah, and uh, it's a and um, it's amazing. And I still don't fully understand how they pulled this off in the movie. I mean, this subplot is like what twenty minutes, thirty minutes at most. And we, as the viewers, gain such an emotional connection to Brooks. Oh. Brooksy, as they call oh, him, Brooksy. Brooksy. Uh, he was my favorite character in the movie. It was amazing, and he he's in like a fourth of it, if that. If even, yeah. And so, and like also impressive. I don't know. Was it the script? Was it the acting? <laughs> all the above. It's, it's just so well portrayed that they can they can have us build this connection to that character. Um, yeah. In a really um, meaningful way, and then. This is an important subplot because it's going to play into the larger plot with Dufresne um, as we move throughout the film. Yeah, uh, the, the actor that played Brooks is named James Whitmore. Mm-hmm. Um, he did an amazing job. He looks familiar. He's probably been in a lot of other films. He's been but, in a lot yeah. of things. Um, but, I mean, to worm your way into my heart as the favorite character in the movie when Morgan Freeman is also in the movie <laughs> Sorry, is, Morgan. wow. Yeah, he did a great job. Amazing. Yeah, so then we come back from that plot, and uh, I don't have it all exactly organized in my head, but we basically get back to Dufresne is making a name for himself in the prison. Yeah, he's he's putting his banking... Balling and shot calling. (laughs) He's putting his banking skills to good use. Um, They, like, all the... They they assigned him to the library so that they could hide him down there to do their taxes for them and right. things like that. Turns out Dufresne can do people's taxes, and so he starts doing the warden's taxes and the chief of the guard taxes and all the guards' taxes. All of the guards' taxes. And then they were. It was funny how like guards from other prisoner yeah. prisons were coming over and getting their taxes. They were done. assigning like extra prisoners to library detail to help him file the paperwork. Right. It was great. And um, you find out that in that process, he is help, uh, required to like help the, the launder money for the warden. Right. So now it's not just kind of a benevolent service that Dufresne is providing. It's like, oh, now there's even more bleakness yeah, to the prison in general. It's like, great, there's money laundering. The warden is part of all these scams and bribes and things like that. And like, okay, that's a bummer. But then kind of on the flip side, like, Although Dufresne is doing the bookkeeping for all of these shady business deals, he's at least making a name for himself in the prison. Yeah. And so we are glad that he is. And it's a catch twenty two for him because yes. if he turns in the warden, 
it, he also condemns himself and like ruins any chance he has of parole because he adds a sentence of um, la- laundering, laundering and all of that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> to his two life sentences that he's already serving. Not a good look. Nope, not great. No. But yeah, he's doing that. Um, he has a pretty tense relationship with the warden. Warden tends to like him, trusts him a lot, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, throws him in solitary when he defies him. He, you know, gets a hold of some records and like locks the door and plays them over the speaker for the prison and gets like put in solitary for what, a month mm-hmm. or something. Yes. And this is actually a very, I think, pivotal point in the movie that Dufresne plays music over the speaker system, the intercom system, and, like, the whole prison freezes and is just mesmerized by... He's playing, like, Italian opera. It's beautiful. And the idea is, like, these men have not heard music Mm. in, for some of them, decades. And so they are just struck by the beauty of art and the just the amazingness of music and what that does to the human soul. And so, Mm -hmm. like, the whole place comes to a halt, and they just kind of stand there. uh, Speechless and motionless. Yeah, as this opera just plays over the prison. Yeah. And and so then, of course, Dufresne gets in trouble for it, but when he gets out of solitary, he's talking to his buddies over lunch in the cafeteria, and they're like, ha-ha, that was so funny. Like, yeah, you did the thing. Like, was it worth it? And he's like... No, it was totally worth it. He's yeah. like, it helps us remember what freedom really is. And yeah. so this is where Dufresne have starts something to... something inside of us that He starts to unpack what ultimately becomes the message of the movie. He's like, and he says it explicitly. He says, like, it reminds us that there's always hope. When yeah. we hear this music, we realize that there's a world beyond this prison and that there's hope for something better, something more beautiful beyond this terrible place that we're all in. Yeah. And then, and then it's interesting that Red, Morgan Freeman's character, goes, hey, don't talk about hope. It's a dangerous thing. And he says, it yeah. gets down in your heart, and then it kills you. Mm-hmm. And so it, you see this dichotomy of Dufresne saying, hope is what's going to get us out of here. Hope is what... And Red is saying, no, hope is what kills you. And because you know, Red calls is, back to Brooks. Of- exactly. And so we now, not just Red saying this, but we have like we have seen how hope deferred makes the heart sick makes the heart sick that's a biblical reference but that's what's on display in this film of yeah. like so many of these inmates lose their hope and they just have this seemingly meaningless life yeah and they have nothing to live for and then when they get out of the prison they just wind up killing themselves because they have no hope and Dufresne is the one who explicitly starts to say no there is hope and we have to hold on to that yeah. And even small things like music is what keeps that hope alive. And so that's where we start to really tap into the deeper meaning of this story. Mm-hmm. Yes, prisons can be corrupt. And I don't know if this movie was made as kind of like a political commentary or social commentary. I don't think that was the purpose of it, but it was like, hey, this doesn't happen. Yes. Um, yeah. And there's plenty of other sources that you can dig into yeah. to look at that. But, but yeah, this, this idea of hope, it's like, okay. So we've got this idea of hope, but Dufresne is still in prison, okay? And so then yeah. the story continues And he keeps from getting thrown into solitary. Keeps getting thrown into solitary just for Small different things, and I don't remember all the details. He gives lip to um, the, the, the warden and gets thrown in for yes. a week. And, like, right. all the while, this um, new, very young, Elvisy 
we're the like in the sixties now. So it's been like and another amazing thing about this film is the passage of time. Mm, yeah. Is so they do well such portrayed. A good job. It starts in the forties. Yeah. Um, goes through the 50s and I think Brooks in his stories like happens in the 50s so that's like 10 years into the prison mm-hmm. sentence and now we're in the 60s and you can see even like how the new inmates that are coming into the prison their style is different their hairstyle is yeah. different the way they act it's like oh yeah. when this new punk comes in in the 60s Tommy. he looks like he's straight out of the movie Grease yeah you know, he has like, like the side chops so yes the side chops and hair. black hair and he kind of looks like a biker he's got his shirt buttoned down real low yeah. kind of thing and um, he yeah. is like known for being kind of like a fast and loose wise guy yes but they're like he has a young wife and a daughter now and so they he kind of gets sacked together and he asks Dufresne to help him earn his GED because right. that's also something Dufresne does is help them get GED because he's, he's just educated yeah he's so he so can smart. teach them their alphabet and stuff um, like that and yeah this guy doesn't even know how to read when they start and so he teaches him how to read and does all this stuff and then um I forget what leads to it, but one of the other prisoners ends up telling Tommy the story of what happened to Dufresne Mm -hmm. and why he's in here. Right. And Tommy's like, no freaking way. Oh my gosh. I actually have some inside information on Dufresne's murderer case. So Tommy knows the guy that did it. And that guy told him like. So Tommy was in a previous prison. Yeah. And had a cellmate who told the story of how he murdered Dufresne's wife. And a golf pro she was sleeping with. Which is the the guy that yep. was there. And so it's like this He murdered totally... them over a disagreement with the golf pro. Yes. And just happened the wife was there. And he was like, it worked out great for me because they blamed it on the husband, obviously. He and said, I shot perfect. them in a motel. And he was like, yeah, it worked out great. Yeah, and so it's this amazing turn of events that, oh my gosh, Dufresne's case is potentially, um, can be revisited. Yeah, he goes to the warden. He's like, hey, I have this testimony now of a guy saying he knows the actual murderer. This could totally clear my case. And of course, the warden doesn't want to let Dufresne go through with this because because he would get out of prison. Yeah, he needs Dufresne to do the money laundering, keep the books and all of this other shady stuff. And so he kind of rushes it under the table. Well, Dufresne says, if I get out of here, I won't tell anyone what you're doing. Right. And that really ticks the warden off. So they put him in solitary for a month. Yes, that's what it was. And in that time. In that meantime, they go as far, I'm going to, they go as far as to check in on the, the testimony, see if Tommy really knows something. He does. They find out he does know something about this. He has names, he has places, he has times. And they kill him. They kill him. It's so sad. In cold blood. They just shoot and him. And they shoot so him. Many and times. so so another Gosh. uh downer and loss for Dufresne. So he's been in prison for nineteen, twenty years at this point. Yeah. He has survived the first night. He's survived being raped. He has survived being wrongfully accused of murder. And then in his one chance of getting out, the warden swoops in and kills the man who could have testified on his behalf. And he loved him. He loved that kid. Right. He was so proud of him. And so it's not just like a legal reason we care about Tommy. It's like, no, there's yet another emotional connection. And the day they kill him is the day he finds out he got his GED. Right. Dufresne had been tutoring him and helping him get his life together. And so it it hurts all the more. And so 
and, and so one thing that this movie is doing is piling grievance upon grievance upon sorrow upon sorrow. And yeah, and it's, also Tommy, I just want to give props. Tommy it was great. His name was Gil Bellows. Okay, great actor. Great job. Every, no one in no. this film did a poor job. <laughs> no one in this film. The There's warden. A, we keep talking about the warden too, and I do want to give that was Bob Gunn. Um, Warden Norton was his character's Warden name. Norton. Fantastic job. Yeah. As bad as, as villainous as he was. But oh, yeah. <laughs> but he did a great job. So, so good. Yeah. And so yeah, this this movie is is pretty amazing in that that there's no actors that bum us out by poor acting. Yeah. Like everyone is amazing. Not even an extra. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, it was so good. Yeah. Um and so here we are, we're like two hours into this movie and there's grievance upon grievance. And so what this, what this prison setting is trying to do is kill all hope. So we're coming back to this thing of hope versus hopelessness. Mm, yeah. And Dufresne has every reason to give up hope. And like, can we talk about solitary confinement for a second? <gasps> like yeah. of all the ways to torment a human being, that is the one universal thing that will get to anyone. I um, toured, I, I talked about this with you yesterday, I toured the Missouri State Penitentiary, and um, that it was an extremely corrupt prison when it was mm. in use. It was in, brutal. Is this in Jeff City? Yeah. yeah. It was brutal. And um, they have a pit, like in this movie, they called it the hole. Right. Um that they used for solitary confinement and they took our tour group down there and they, you know, there's no light, it's dirt floors, it's rock walls. Mm -hmm. And they, they sealed us in wow. just to let and us feel it. Pitch black. Yeah. I was panicked. <laughs> I was in there for less than a minute. And you're just getting a tour of a prison. And it was the worst. Mm -hmm. It was the worst feeling ever. Yeah. And there were people with me. Yeah. It wasn't solitary. <laughs> it wasn't even solitary. And someone turned on their phone light because people were like, Freaking we want out. to get out of here. Yeah. It, I, I would die. There's just something about the human psychology that we are so exceedingly and deeply social. Yeah. You could be the most introverted, the most moody, the most hermit, monk-like person, and we all need other humans. And so solitary confinement is one of those things that is... I don't know. One of the I don't I don't even need to look at this up if like if that's even legal anymore. And I would argue that it should not be legal yeah. in the slightest because of how it drives people crazy. They go like clinically insane by being in there. Yeah, I don't anyway, know. Anyway, we're on this because Dufresne just to pile yet another thing on top of all the things that he yeah. suffered. Let's put in reference a week in the hole was like rare. There a month was never done. Was before. unheard of. Yes, unheard and so of. and so that this happens occasionally throughout the movie leading up to this point. It's like a week or two days. Yeah. And it's like oh my gosh, that's terrible. It's like you might kill yourself. And then they just throw Dufresne in there for a month. A month. Because he mouthed off to the warden and was trying to. And it's really sad because when he's in there, the guard that brings him his food at one point does like him and says, "Just you know, the kid passed his GED today." Right. And then. And then I can't remember... The warden comes and tells him. The warden comes and tells him. And he tried to escape. We had to shoot him. It was right. heartbreaking. It's a fake story when they murdered Tommy. And, and he knows. Dufresne's like, I know what you did. Right. Yeah. Right. Tommy did not try to escape. And then, I guess on a whim, the warden just says, eh, leave him in there for another month. Just to think yeah. about it. So two months. 
in a pitch black hole with barely any food and no. I don't know how I physically survived. I would doubt that any human could do that. I don't. Yeah. I we should maybe after this we look should do up some research on I mean, solitary confinement. Yeah, of like what has what are the effects of that, and then how long does it take for someone to start kind of going insane when they're, they're in that situation? Losing eyesight, being in the dark. Yeah, your eyes no just kind of stop working. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that it, it, it would he would he would have lost some eyesight. I mean, yeah. he wouldn't be blind. And I'm not convinced that he would have survived it necessarily no. in real life. If this was a real person, may, maybe maybe I don't know. This is why I, I mean, need to research. He it. did have a lot of hope. He had hope, <laughs> and so that's all. He so had. this is the thing. Yeah, that's all he had, and so he eventually gets out. Um, and so yeah, and we're now in the final stretch of the film. Yeah, but he's different. Like. Red is talking about him. Him and Red are very good friends by this point. They've yes. been in there together for almost 30 years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, I, I'm i scared for him. He's like, I don't know. I think he could kill himself. They're talking about it at lunch with the other guys. And he's like, I just really do. And one of the other guys that's kind of in their crew goes, what? You think he could kill himself? And Red's like, yeah. And he's like, he came down to the loading dock today and asked me for six feet of rope. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and you gave it to him? And he's like, I didn't think that's what right. you wanted yes. it I'm glad for. you brought this up. Yeah, so now we're at a point where it's like, oh, my gosh, Dufresne is going to break. Yeah. He's going to lose hope. He's going to kill himself probably. And you can see it on the other prisoners' faces. It wasn't just that they were scared that their friend was going to die. They were like, if he can't make it. Who can? How? Right, so Dufresne has become a symbol of hope yeah. for the other inmates. And I don't know... They're, they're rooting yeah. for him in a sense. Just I because he he's, was going to kill himself. It really seems like, <laughs> and the movie really positions these few scenes as, as scaring us, the viewers, yeah, and into it's thinking from, that Dufresne is going to kill himself after all of this. And it's from Red's point of view, and Red you know, says that was the longest night of my life, and there's a thunderstorm, and he's just sitting there in the quiet. Right, so we think Dufresne is going to kill himself in the night, and Red is in the cell, not necessarily next door. A few doors down. A few doors down, just like... I, I can't do gonna, anything. I can't do anything. I just hope Dufresne makes it through this night. We know he has a rope, yeah. which is not a good sign. No. And so... So they call everyone. In the morning at the prison, they call you all out. You stand in front of your cell, and they make sure everyone's cool counted. and accounted for. Yeah, yeah. And Andy does not come out of his cell. He's missing. And Red is... We're like, oh, no. And the the officer that's in there is, like, yelling, like, if you don't come in there, you better be dead or S- something. something sick or dead or sick something or like that and we're like oh no it's like, probably the second God. one and so we're God. like oh no on the edge of our seats like no it can't be true he can't be dead but so then he walks up to the cell and the look on his face you're like yep he's dead, he's dead. He, he walks in there and he's hanging. just he's like oh my god like the guard you see yeah. the guard's face and he says something just like, like oh my god gosh. or something yeah, like that yeah so we're like oh no it's <sighs> It's happened. I really thought I was like, well, that's how this movie ends. I know. Worst movie ever. Yep. Put take it, take it off the great list. Love this. <laughs> no. Um, dun dun dun. Plot twist. He's gone. He's missing. What? And we saw him go into his cell last night, guys. And everyone is panicked. The warden, the chief they're officer. They're questioning Red. All of the in, other inmates. Yeah, they're questioning everyone. They're like, where is this guy? Like, there's nothing in this room. Nothing is out of place. But Dufresne is missing. Yeah, he had some contraband, but it was like 
chess pieces that they knew about yeah, and, and posters. posters. Yeah. And the warden is questioning Red and losing it, which I really thought Red was going to get beat. And I was like, I hate this movie. Yeah. But thankfully he, he doesn't. He's throwing chess pieces at Red. Yeah. And one of them hits the poster of, I think at this point, he had Rita Raquel Hayworth Welch. and yeah. then he had Mon- Marilyn Monroe. Now it's Raquel Welch. Yes. Yeah. And it tears through it. It goes through the poster. It doesn't like. Which is not supposed to happen. It's a concrete wall. Yeah, poster, concrete wall, rocks should bounce off. And they're all like, what? And so the warden goes and rips the poster. Andy used the little tiny rack hammer. Well, and what we see is there's a hole in the wall, and there's a tunnel going through, and we're like, oh, my gosh. All those years, man. There's literally decades of like, oh, it's a poster on the wall, and oh, he wanted a rock hammer to carve... His chess pieces and some rocks. Yep. Nope. He got out of there, Jack. Yeah. The rope was so that he tied his belongings in like a knapsack yeah. and then tied those to his ankle so that he could have all his stuff but have his hands free. To crawl Genius. through the tumble, yeah. Crawl through the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Then he was on the sewer line. Right. And he was so smart. He needed to break through like it's a pretty rusty metal that he knew he could break through yeah, with a rock. Okay. Yeah, this is probably the... A little suspend belief, yeah. But, well, we'll go with it. He times it with the thunderstorm. So So when thunder strikes, he hits. Right. He beats through the sewer line. Which is disgusting. Yeah. So then he crawls into the sewer line. 500 yards of sewer he crawls through. And eventually. Half a mile. Five football fields. And eventually pops out. And so this is like, we're seeing this kind of as a flashback. Yeah. Where Red is recounting, oh, we realize he's not dead. He actually tunneled through the wall, got into the sewer line, and then crawled through the sewage, and then we, like... Into the stream. And then gets out as it's snowing, and he gets free. And he... Yeah, they find his, like, muddy prison clothes. Also, he stole the warden's shoes in a little subplot moment, Mm -hmm. and it's so satisfying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um... So he gets out, and there had been a scene... We skipped a scene here. Sorry. Um... When he got out of his two months of solitary and they were like, he's going to kill himself, where he told Red, if you get out of here, right. um, I need you to go to this hay field in Buxton, he said. Where I'm from or where, where, where I from. live. And he's like, like, there's a hay field in Buxton that has a rock wall in the middle of it with an oak tree at the north end. He said, that's where I proposed to my wife. He said, on that rock wall, you're going to find a piece of black volcanic rock. You'll know it. It doesn't look like it should be there. And he right. said, I need you to pry it up and get what's under it. He's like, I want you to have it. I want you to have it. And Red's like, he's going to kill himself. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... So He's, Dufresne gets out. Yeah, Dufresne's out. Um, he had told Red if he ever got out, he was going to go to Mexico mm-hmm. and open a hotel on the Pacific, the Atlantic, the Pacific. 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 And, and this I know is, geography. No, you're fine. But this is significant because one thing Dufresne says when he's in prison, he's like, when I get out of here, I'm going to go to this town called Zihuatanejo. Um, wow, I can't believe you remembered that. I had to look it up several times to get it in my head. Yeah, Zihuatanejo. Um and he's like, I want to go there. And he said, like, the, I think, I don't know, the natives or the locals call the Pacific the the ocean without memory. or That the it town. doesn't have a memory. I don't know if it's the ocean. They say like, about the Pacific that it doesn't have a memory. Right. Yeah. So the point is, Dufresne is like, when I get out of here, I want to go to a place that signifies no memory. Like, I don't want to remember where I've been. I yeah. just want to go to a place that is paradise. 
I just want to be free and I just want to be happy. How could he afford this after you'd been in prison for decades, you might ask? Oh, yeah. Where do you find money? Hmm. If only you had connection to people's money. If only you had been laundering money for someone and had to make up a fake person with a birth certificate and a social security number and a driver's license to launder money. This is the genius of Dufresne and the people who wrote the script. So we, we are now, now that Dufresne is out, we are now watching what he does when he escaped. Turns out, and we're seeing his genius of how he's been planning this meticulously. Since week one, dude. For literal decades in prison, he's been thinking this out. And so this is where the genius and just the mind-blowingness of the movie comes to full fruition. Yep is that while Dufresne was laundering money for the warden and making, you know, fake uh, accounts and uh, logging, documenting all the bribes and all the scams that were happening, he was doing it in He's the name... He's setting up his own alibi. He was doing it in the name of a fake person who didn't exist and somehow got this person a birth certificate and a driver's license and a passport and all this stuff. And so because Dufresne was the one doing the books, he was also the one forging the signature of this fake person. Perfect match. On the, on the behalf of the warden. So then when he gets out of prison, he can just waltz into a bank, call himself this fake person. I don't Several remember, banks. Several banks. I don't remember the name of the person that it was supposed to be. But I like, don't either. The person that was supposed to be like the warden's fake person for the warden's money, but he goes in. Signs in as that person, in. takes all the warden's money, and just hightails his way down to Mexico to sure freedom. And so it's such a satisfying end uh, just because of all the injustices also, that I Andy suffered. Realize I said alibi a moment ago, and I meant alias. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, and yeah. that alias yes. is Randall Stevens. Randall Stevens, yeah. So that's the fake person that doesn't exist um, who was the front for the warden's Money scams. All through the movie, we have seen Red many times go in for Pearl and give the same speech over and over of, I'm a rehabilitated man, no longer I'm a so, danger I'm to so society. I'm so ready to get out of prison. Just yeah. let me go on Pearl. Rejected please. every time. Rejected, yeah. So at the end now, he goes in for Pearl. He does not give his speech. Yeah. He I can't remember exactly what he said. I don't yeah. remember what he said either. But he speaks from his heart. It's not prepared. He's pretty freaking honest of, you're never going to let me out of here. Right. Gets approved. <laughs> they, he gets out. He gets out on parole. Red gets out. Yeah. He has the same kind of story as Brooks for a moment. Scared me. Gets in Goes the, the same house. halfway house. Same gets, grocery store. Gets the same job. Yeah. Same book. Same room. He sees the thing that says Brooks was here yeah, he, carved into like, the wall. Oh my gosh, there he is. Says the same thing of I thought about just buying a gun because that would violate my parole yeah. and I could go back. Right. Um, I was freaked out. I was like, <laughs> Red, no. <laughs> so he. Then goes back to the halfway house, mm -hmm. gets up on the table. Oh, boy. Carves. Red was, it, it says Brooks was here, and he carves, so was Red. Right, and so we're like, great. Oh. I was like, I cannot take any more. Too much heartache. sadness. And he does not. He goes to Buxton and uh -huh. finds yeah. the. So he just got up on the table to, to carve, so was Red, but he doesn't actually hang himself. Yep. He finds the, the field. He finds the rock, and under it is a bunch of money. Bunch of money in an envelope and a letter. Yep. And from it's a letter Andy. from Andy. And it's basically saying, hey, if you're reading this, you must have gotten out of prison. Uh, I could really use your help down here in Mexico. If I you could use a guy that gets stuff. Yeah. If you can come down and, and find me. And so then we cut <laughs> to the end of the movie, and it's like a beautiful like beach scene with blue water. 
and red is like walking with Andy his Andy had said that he was going to buy an old boat and fix it up. Right. And, and so we see doing. Andy on a boat kind of scrubbing it and there they are. And they, it's all gone. Yeah. And the movie basically ends there. And so it's amazing how, and so we realize that Andy's hope paid off. Yeah. And it got him to what effectively is paradise. Right when you see blue yeah. ocean and like a windy, beautiful sunny With beach, no it's like no memory. Right, it's like he finally escaped the horrors of his past. And his friend, he caught his friend there and too. And the hope, yeah, it, it got to red, and red was able to get out as well. It's contagious. And so it was so good. It's such a satisfying ending. Oh, it's so like sad. after all of the horrors and just terrible injustices and things that mm-hmm. make you angry mm-hmm. and things that make you cry. And um, t- he totally turned in the warden and Hartley. Right. And so Hartley gets arrested. It's hilarious. He's like sobbing. The warden sees him getting arrested and knows what's happening and shoots himself in the head. Right. Also a little bit satisfying, not going to lie. Yes. So justice is served. And the irony, the the irony is that the warden is really into the Bible and he's always quoting scripture verses to the inmates yeah. throughout the movie. Day one, he's like, you will not take the Lord's name in vain in my prison. Right. And you will read your Bible yeah. as I beat the living tar. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that just adds to the anger factor. Oh, of like, and we're so mad at the warden for all the evil he does. But then he puts on this front of being such a scriptural holy man. And we know that is the last thing that he is. And the other kicker is that there is a cell check that the warden goes on for Andy trying to bust him. Yes. And Andy is reading his Bible. Yes. And he's like, I'm really proud to see you reading this, son. And he right, like right, takes right. the Bible from him and he's holding it and everything. Like way back when at the beginning of the movie. Okay. So Andy, before he broke out, left his Bible on the warden's desk yes. and it's, he had carved it out and that's where the hammer was. Right. So the warden was holding the hammer in his hands and didn't find Unknowingly, it. Unknowingly, because it's, it's tucked in the Bible. It was like carved yeah. out of the pages you of the Bible. You held his way out in your hands and he still got away. Right. Right. It was so satisfying. Yeah. So good. And, and, well, and, and the warden loved to say that salvation lies within. Like salvation, salvation is lies in the within, Bible. and he had a uh, um, cross stitched piece on his wall that his wife had made that said, "What did it say? Like it righteousness, ju- ju- uh, judgment, judgment come at the right time." Yeah, judgment. And so come this is where I was right going time. a couple of minutes ago of like the warden has a verse hanging on the wall in his office that says, "Judgment comes at the right time," and so it's almost this prophetic or foreshadowing statement of like, yeah, the warden. You're going to get your judgment in time. And it does it does come to pass. And so that's kind of a satisfying thing. It and was then so the funny great. irony is how the warden says, like, salvation lies within this Bible. And then, like, little did he know that that's where Andy hid his hammer, which ended up being his salvation. Sure did, buckaroo. From the prison. And so, yes, there's a lot of very artistic, well-thought-out, satisfying components of this story so that play out so beautifully. It was, oh, I loved it. Yeah. I love it so much. Amazing film. Amazing. I definitely see why it's on like the top of every list. Um, Well, apparently not every list, but IMDb list. Yeah. Um, Why so many people would love it. It's close to the top of mine. Yeah. Not going to lie. We just watched it. I loved it. 24 hours ago and it. It's still hitting me. (laughs) It's still still processing. I am still processing. Yeah. I really had to grieve Brooks. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I went, people aren't going to like me for this, but after we watched that, I went to my parents' house and they were watching Lord of the Rings and I was like, no, 
<laughs> I've seen something much greater Quality than this film movie. Is Shawshank Redemption <laughs> not <laughs> this garbage? <laughs> yeah, but amazing movie, and it just plays out so be- like there's there's no scene that I can think of that I felt like was extra or like a waste of time. Like, oh man, they really just like. I would love to see their deleted scenes. Well, and I was reading about this that there were other scenes where they play out some of the later parts. Mm-hmm. Like, like I think one of them was, like, Red being outside of prison and trying to, like, navigate that world of, like, there were extra scenes of that. And I think... I needed that to be short. I don't right. think I could have handled more. Well, and that's the... Th- yeah, exactly. Because yeah. we're all waiting for Red to commit suicide like Brooks did. Yeah. It's like, no, it was plenty. I and was holding my like breath, that so. where <laughs> I think they cut out just the right stuff. Absolutely. From the original thing. Everyone like, that worked on this film was uh, so well-versed in their craft. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so all of the acting was amazing. The the directing, the cinematography of like the camera angles flying over the prison and oh, things so like that good. Were so especially good. for its time. The director, yeah, shot in the nineties. Yeah, the director um, of this movie um, directed the Green Mile, I believe. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wrote the Green Mile. He either directed or wrote on the Green Mile. He is a writer, also. He wrote in all of the Indiana Jones movies. Okay. And wrote for The Walking Dead, which is one of my favorite <laughs> of all shows. Things. And yeah. so, so I was like, man, I like this guy. Quality work, man. Yeah. Um, whew, it was great. Watch it. Not with kids around. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that was the other thing I was going to say. And this is something that I read in some reviews of the film online that I definitely agree with is that the portrayal of the more gritty and less, um, I don't know, less than reputable aspects of the movie. So, like, there's a sex scene, lots of violence. Lots of violence. But none of it is excessively graphic for the sake of being graphic. It's just a lot. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot of F-words. Yes. Um, I mean, there's lots of cursing in general, but I was like, wow. Yeah. What I'm trying to get at, though, is that they, if I could say it this way, they incorporate those aspects tastefully into the movie. They, I think some yeah. movies will make things extra graphic and extra bloody and extra gory just for the sake of being sensational. It but this film, you. this film doesn't cross that line. No. It is very real about the horrific things that happen, yeah. but it doesn't display them graphically just for the sake of being graphic. Yeah, it was exactly it's what it needed. All, it's all in the service of the story and the higher message of the film Mm -hmm. without being... If they had held back any more or pushed it any further, it would have suspended the belief for me. Hmm. Or uh, not suspended. It would have taken me out of it. Hmm. Um, And I would have just been like, wow, they're really going hard at this. Like, Or like, "Eh, it's probably worse than that. Well, and I think if they made it any more graphic, it'd almost be unwatchable. Yeah, exactly. Because it's just so sad and so bleak and hopeless for so much of the film. It's like they they do such a masterful job of keeping you right on the edge. And it was like, like as a viewer, it's like, do I have hope for these characters? What is amazing is that there was hope the whole time. Hmm. I mean, there were moments when I really felt like there wasn't for a second, like when Brooks, I was like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? But there was a feeling and like a line of hope through the whole thing. Like he's got to get out. And they did that without setting anything up. 
it wasn't mm. like it panned to him at night whittling away behind the poster every night. And we were like, man, right. he's it's not doing like, the work. It's not like we knew Dufresne was going to escape. No idea. And that's the beauty of like it, it hits us as a plot twist at the end after like two hours of movie. I thought that if anything, he was going to get parole. Something right. was going to happen to the warden. Yeah. Justice was going to come. I was like, uh, yeah, they did not tell us, but there was still that. They didn't imply that anything was going to happen. I think it's Dufresne's disposition and yeah. how he's carrying himself to I would not, be interested to see how yeah. many lines he actually had in the movie. They had to be interesting. And then do Very like few. a ratio to the other character. Obviously, Red has a lot. The most, because he's narrating. But Dufresne but has very still, few lines, yeah. Yeah, he was it's, a man of... It's an amazing character words. for the person who wrote the script, wrote the story. Yeah. And then the actor who then brought them to life did a masterful job as I well. I didn't think that there was ever going to be a movie based on a Stephen King novel that I was like, yep, top 10. <laughs> <laughs> so this one yeah. threw me for a loop. Yeah. Unless, is The Silence of the Lambs based off Stephen King? I would have to look it up. Because it's up there for me, too. I mean, Silence of the Lambs is a good film, and I'm just saying that because I've heard about it. I'm going to say you have not seen it. Still haven't seen it. It is on the list. We'll need to, we'll need to get there. But Silence on the One list. of the most quotable lines from the movie that is... I think summarizes the message of the movie in one line is I think either Red said it or Dufresne said it, but there's like you, you get busy living or get busy dying. Yeah. And so the point is, is like you either have hope and you're going to get busy living even in this prison or you're just going to get busy dying and yep. you're on your way out. Silence of the Lambs was not based off of a Stephen King novel, no. by the way. No. It's based off of a Thomas Harris novel. So Shawshank is all, all they've got for that. All I've got for the, for the King Stephen adaptation. King. Yeah, adaptations. I'm really coming at people. I'm coming at Lord of the Rings. I'm coming at Stephen King buffs. I'll, I will say, though, that last night was the first time that I watched an entire Lord of the Rings movie without being like, I actively Okay, so this, this is a, we're a total side tangent. You don't like Lord of the Rings? No. Wow. You I monster. don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, it really, um, I understand now as an adult that it is a metaphor. Of, uh, it's, it's a very spiritual movie, you know, yes. as a Christian, like you watch it and it is a depiction of like what sin does and what discipleship and fellowship and all these right. things. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote these stories, yeah. obviously infused them with Christian biblical ideas. And I, listen, I 100%, I'm not saying that they're trash movies ever. I know that they're good movies. Sure. And the the line when Sam says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Goosebumps every time. Goosebumps (laughs) now, honestly. Right now, lit up like a Christmas tree. Great. But, um, (laughs) but, where was I going with this? Um, I was very sensitive and am very sensitive to spiritual things, especially as a kid. They bothered me big time. Especially because this movie has a lot of dark. This movie, to it. those movies really bugged me. Witchcraft, evil wizards, yeah. creepy monsters, Gollum eating yeah. fish. And it like was unsettling. Gross. Even yeah, if I was in a different yeah. part of the house and just knew someone was watching it, I was. It would bug it you. Was, I would cry. Okay. And so I just didn't didn't for a long time. Okay, so you don't have any like artistic opposition to the films necessarily. I mean, I sure think that some of it's done. Uh, like, why are there 18 billion shots of a woman staring into the distance just because she's an elf? We don't need 30 minutes of that. <laughs> I think that, like, good lord, man. Uh, okay. But also, I she's guess... She's seeing the future. <laughs> she's not showing me. Fair enough. So, like, uh, <laughs> okay. I, I don't love that. Um, 
but also my family watches extended versions. So maybe that's not in all of the versions that maybe there's less, but no, I'm, I'm not going to come at a franchise that has made billions of dollars, trillions of dollars. I'm sure. And be like <laughs> garbage, hot garbage. No, I Just know that they're thing, good, I but I really enjoyed the movie last night. Good. Um, but not as much as Shashi. I don't know which one it was. It was the one where they finally threw the ring in. Return of the King, I guess, is the third one. The third of yeah. the original trilogy. I, I, it stands to reason I would like that one because I finally get to see Goodwin in that, whereas the other ones yeah, are just they like They all just kind of end on... Yeah, they all oh. end on cliffhangers. Yeah, rough. Darkness, but. wraiths, orcs. A lot of grittiness in those. Yeah, I, yeah. I really liked the end. It was great. Very cool. Just like Shawshank also ends great. Yeah, I like Shawshank better for sure. Yeah. Way better. I don't know. I guess that's our recap. I almost, I I can't say any negative things about it. None. I can't think of like any like constructive criticism for Shawshank (laughs) Redemption. No constructive criticism at all. It's amazing. Yeah. Everything about it is awesome. It was perfect. It was perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is rare. It's very rare. Yeah. Oh, I can criticize anything. <laughs> it's a talent. Yeah. So and I'm yeah. Yeah, this is cool. It's cool to watch movies that are supposed to be good and then it turns out they are good. Because sometimes they're really not. <laughs> yeah, especially some people are like, This movie's amazing. It's like, okay, cool. And then it's not. It's like that was a waste of time. Yeah. We're watching Silence of the Lambs next, my guy. All right. I'm I love it. <laughs> a lot of dark, gritty movies that we're gonna be talking about on yeah. this podcast. But that one that one it. also it doesn't uh it's not as hopeful as this one. Okay. Well, but it's great. Good to know. Great. Yeah. Anyways, Shawshank, 10 out of 10, five gold stars, two enthusiastic thumbs up. All, all of the positive ratings. Loved great. it. Um, yes. And then so I was also doing some other research. So I, I found out that Shawshank is on the number one spot for the IMDb movie list. Yeah. There are many other best movie of all time lists on the internet. Um, one of them being the Sight and Sound uh, magazine list. And according to that list, um, mm-hmm. not right now. It's not Citizen Kane right now, but for like 50 years. It was Citizen Kane, which I've Citizen also Kane. never seen. So Rosebud. That's all I know. And that is also, I think, the number one on several other lists that I found online. What is their number one right now? Do I you need know? to look it up. Um, okay. If I just type in best. Google furiously. Yeah, with one hand. Best movies of all time. Endgame. No. <laughs> but maybe. I mean, that's probably on the top 100 list. Absolutely. Okay, so we've got... Oh, there's the Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, there's lots of lists. Rotten Tomatoes list, IMDb. We know what IMDb says. Oh, this is what I... The American Film Institute. This is another list that... Um, to look at okay oh actually i wikipedia has a compilation of all of these sources okay sight and sound uh citizen kane for the most part but right now scrolling down um i'm not seeing it Vertigo. Oh, I've heard of it. Also, I haven't seen it. That was it. Dethroned Citizen Kane in 2012. So they do this poll every 10 years. So they don't update it very often. The first poll was in, I think, 52, 
1952, and then every decade since then they updated. Vertigo um, is now the topped one, which is an American film, psychological thriller, directed and produced by Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Story is based on the 1954 novel Dintry Les I don't think I'll like it. The screenplay. Da, 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 da. Alfred Hitchcock. I haven't watched many of his films, but Mm-mm. I don't know. I, mean, I know that I just typed Silence of the Lambs super hard, but I don't like scary movies. <laughs> <laughs> Silence of the Lambs feels like an episode of Criminal Minds to me. It yeah. doesn't feel like a horror movie to me. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. So Vertigo is the top one now. Citizen Kane historically has been like the number one movie of all time, and other sources have said that. Um, but Sight and Sound also has a top movie list compiled by directors. What's at the top of that? And they voted a movie called Tokyo Story. How close is The Godfather to the top? Uh, I want to say it's like in the top um, top ten. Ten, or, yeah. yeah be Should ten. be. It is... Top five. Ooh, it's not. <gasps> They're wrong. There's also... This is also an international ranking. Mm. So there are lots of Japanese films and French films and other movies that we have no clue even exist. Godfather so should be in the top five for sure. Yeah, well... Okay, Do- Godfather is number 21. Wrong. I Incorrect. Mean, eh. Yeah. It also... I think another thing that goes into the ranking of these films is their impact on movie culture and the film industry in general. And so, like... I would say The Godfather had a pretty big impact. Uh, I mean, it's number 21 on the list. So, it obviously meant something. But, like, there's another level of, I think, like, historical knowledge that I would have to have to even be able to rank these these films. Oh, on the director's poll, Godfather's number seven. Hey, they know what they're talking about. So what's number one on director's poll? Oh, Tokyo, I story, yeah, Tokyo story, which is from 1953. So all of the great movies, 50s, man. Well, 50s. And then Citizen Kane is 1941. Oh. So and it's hilarious. What is, what is Shawshank? 90s? Yeah, 90s. Um, so another big movie that I've never seen. Few and, and far between. I'm, I'm needing to see this movie now because another one is coming out is The Matrix. Oh, yeah. Never seen it. Would love to. Never seen a Keanu Reeves movie. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Yeah, that's, yeah, my brother, oh, what is it, uh, what's the camera, John Wick, is that what it is? Yep, oh, my brothers love John Wick. Not for the artistic, No, for the violence manual. It's just head. like, we're just going to run around and shoot people, so. I think he, like, stabs that's the people other, with pens. That's the other end of the spectrum when it comes to art, of, like, you've got these, like, masterful written stories that yep. are intricate and emotional, like Shawshank, and then you've got. John Wick, where it's like, yeah. let's just shoot people. <laughs> so, yeah, we've got a long list, but also today something we talked about, and I want to throw it out there for the peeps, is um, Daniel has never watched The Office. Um, I have seen some episodes, so. Okay. And take so it easy, take it I, easy. I think it is your humor, Daniel. It's definitely my humor. But I, was, I think that I want... Uh, we all know that like watching season one of any show is usually not the best way to start a show. Usually season one is like, I want him to watch stress relief part one and two with me. So, cause those are allegedly the funniest episodes. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's lots of funny episodes, but that's one of the most like famously talked about and referenced. I have watched, I did randomly sit down and watch the first two episodes of the whole show. So I get the premise and I know the idea. So like, yeah, so we could watch it. Yeah, we need to watch them. They're so funny. 
Good. I so love them so we've much. We've got our work cut out for us. We need to watch Silence of the Lambs, probably Citizen Kane. Yeah, Citizen Kane. John Q. The We're going to watch John Q. Yeah, John Q. was... Denzel Washington. Yeah. Because in this movie, they say John Q, like yeah, just, just talking about like a guy. And I was like, that movie is so good. <laughs> so good. We've got lots of good movies coming up. So, And that, among other things on the podcast, this yeah, is not necessarily this is just, not a, movie just podcast, a movie podcast, but it is one of many things that we get to talk about. So. Yeah. I love it. Cool. I feel like this was our first like official breakdown of a serious like full-on film. We yeah. kind of took in not the Olaf. Not an Olaf short. Yeah. Not a, <laughs> so we're, we're we figuring We should do an Olaf do short of Shawshank Redemption. Oh, my gosh. <gasps> yes. That'd be... I'm writing Josh Gad. Here we go. We'll make it happen. Love it. Olaf presents all the great films of IMDb. Oh, you <laughs> <laughs> Olaf presents The Godfather. Yeah. I hope your first child is a masculine child. <laughs> yes, indeed. Anyways. Good. Well, Loved it. That, I think that does it for uh, this week. Yeah. Stay tuned and find out what it, exciting things we'll talk about next week. Yeah, thanks, guys, for listening to us just ramble. Yeah, it's been good. It's All been right. great. Well, have a great day or evening or morning or whenever you're listening have to this. Have a great this. life. We will see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Peace out. <laughs>